Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and today I'm so excited. Dr. Peter Kapsner is joining me this hour. He has been doing an intensive uh, teaching the last five days. We're going to find out what's going on in his brain. And then in the second hour, Dr. Greg Borgon will be joining me as we, uh, and Peter and I, because we continue our Old Testament series. And today we're going to talk about Samuel. So get your Bible out. It's going to be a great, great show. I'm the only non-doctor on the show today, so it's going to be good. So, uh, Peter, I just got a a text from a listener wanting to know where you have been lately, and he said you are his 39th favorite guest of mine on the show. (laughs) You know, that is a ranking that's higher than I've ever been. And so, I mean, I'm I'm moving up in in the guest rankings, because you normally only have about 32 guests, right? (laughs) So this is problematic in the math. Yeah, Yeah. I just got off the plane last week from visiting my daughter, Anna, uh, in Scotland. She's uh, 20 years old, doing some programs in the Divinity School over there at the University of Edinburgh. So we had a great, it was just a great visit. I hadn't seen her for quite a while, and and it was really fun to to be there. Yeah, now you spent five days teaching uh, a lot of pastors. Yeah. And a kind of a high level think tank sort of this is a, an accreditation uh yeah, it's, it's their Masters of Leadership program yes. at a local seminary. And so okay. it's, it's been a little while since I've been with people in professional ministry. My normal context is 18 to 22-year-olds. So to be with several pastors who are helping lead megachurches to a couple that's leading a parachurch ministry right on the front lines of Ukraine, they're helping refugees. And and she was literally, the one of the students was texting back and forth with Ukraine during class as she's helping navigate some of the refugee situations. So to be with them in the front lines, we had some young youth pastors. It was people in at the ground level and in different ministry environments. And we were talking about leadership and faith and what's going on in our culture and mm-hmm. social issues. It was it was five straight days uh, of eight to nine hour days is what it, it could be. We, we tended to cut it off early because none of us have the attention spans to last quite that long. But it was really a, a pretty remarkable mm-hmm. time. And there was some grappling going on, wasn't there, as you talk about some of the meaty issues? A now, lot. Yeah, now today yeah. I want to talk a little bit about salvation, because that's an ongoing topic that I love talking about. And we did about uh, eight months a couple of years ago on salvation, where we, we invited guests to talk about it. And it's so important. And I know there was a discussion among the people that you were uh, working with and teaching mm-hmm. about it. And you, just in the green room, were sharing something that I thought, yeah, that's a great topic. We should keep keep talking about that. Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the questions you and I have taken over the years, it seems to be among the most common questions. I, I don't know for sure what the top three uh, most common questions would be from people that are texting in as part of the show and, mm-hmm. and having some really interesting questions as part of their own lives and lives of maybe friends and family. But one of the top questions certainly is, can you lose your salvation? And, and I think it tends to be born from um, a pattern of sin maybe that you still have in your life that you, you really have authentically given your life to Jesus. There's been a moment, maybe it was in church somewhere, maybe through a trusted friend or a parent, relative, that led you to Christ, to use that language, meaning that you really did believe you needed to have your sins forgiven. You believe that that happened on the cross mm-hmm. on Good Friday, where Jesus uh, died on the cross on behalf of the sins of the world, and you placed your trust in that. And and so 
in that um, in that interchange with God, there is a sense in which that your eternal uh, destiny was secured, that you know you're going to be spending paradise or eternity in paradise with God, but then you keep on sinning, and and it gets to a point for many people, understandably, they ask the question, they say, so hang on a minute. I may be a year or two or five or 10 years removed from this decision that I made, and it was an honest, authentic decision. Why am I still trapped in these patterns of sin? And not only have you and I taken that question a number of times over mm-hmm. the years in Faith Radio, but this got to be a very common question for the pastors, too. Again, it didn't matter if they're in megachurch or if they're in small churches. Just the commonality of that question was really interesting to talk about with them. So when we talk about the patterns of sin, we should be uh, free from these patterns, what keeps us stuck in these patterns? Yeah, I think there's another component to, to this that we don't talk about a ton. And in, when we talk about the, the faith decision in the way that I was describing it, in terms of believing in the forgiveness of sins of what happened on the cross, there's so much about Good Friday that that is where that takes place. But what we don't talk about a lot is what happened on Easter Sunday when Jesus came out of the waters of sin and death and, mm-hmm. and rose into the other side. And the Bible has this beautiful invitation and this beautiful witness as part of the good news that now the curse of sin and death has been broken even in this life as well. So following Jesus is not just the idea of what happens in the life to come, but now there's a new power at work in the world. There's a, there's a new sheriff in town who has broken mm-hmm. the power of sin and death. And so the Bible has this beautiful witness where salvation is not just related to what happens when you die, it is an ongoing rescuing and an ongoing healing from the power of sin in your own life. And I think, Bill, what happens is we don't talk about that Easter Sunday part of this gospel. That's such good news about how we can help people with reliable means of engaging with that resurrection power in their life that begins to overcome the power of sin and death that still persists because we live in a broken world. We live in a world that is not yet redeemed. We're in this present darkness, says the Bible, in our, in our frail uh mortal bodies are still subject to the curse on some level. It's just that when now we have another power to access. And it's something that I think a lot of people have not really had the opportunity to engage with in their discipleship journey is what does it mean to engage with the resurrection power? When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life, uh, there is, it's not just about the life to come. It's about a life that begins to inhabit you in this world. And uh, we talked a lot about that these last five days. Mm -hmm. I do want you to say more. This is fascinating. Well, you know, yeah, I'm guessing you and I know the drill, right? I mean, have have you ever, I'm guessing you've done sort of a behavior management approach to sin, meaning that I got saved, but then I'm now going to work really hard to try to overcome sin. And I'm going to maybe make some resolutions or I'm going to go to bed at night and and say a really earnest prayer and say, God, tomorrow I'm going to be a more faithful person maybe to my wife in terms of how I treat her, or I'm going to um, be nicer to the people on the street, or you name it, right. whatever it is. You you go to bed, you feel a bit upset, understandably so, by mm-hmm. some sinful pattern that you have. But then we sort of sometimes tacitly and maybe not even intentionally cut Jesus out of the equation in that moment. We're like, okay, we can kind of take it from here. <laughs> and And we do this behavior management approach where we're like, we're going to overcome it. And then three days later, you know, it's it's like the I, I love the disciple Peter in the text because he's like, I will never deny you, Lord. I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you. You know, he's doing this whole thing by right. his whole power. And also, cock a doodle doo, there's the rooster. Yeah. And and we can't overcome that power of sin in our life. Um, even after we've given our decision and our life to Christ, we need to continue to engage daily with that resurrection power that is very real and part of this world. Mm. Well, you think Peter, given his commitment to Jesus at that point would have no problem staying strong. 
Oh, for sure. I mean, they authentically decided to follow Jesus. And yeah. I love the the descriptions of their lives in those first few years. I yeah. mean, I think about uh, how disastrous they were. You know, and yeah. James and John are like, so who gets to wield power alongside of you, Jesus? Like, who gets to be the, the king of this kingdom with you? And right. and to become a disciple, it's it's a long road where you grow in, in wisdom and stature and power and Christ-likeness, but you still... In the same way that salvation is not accomplished through your own effort on Good Friday, the ongoing salvation from your sins in this life, and meaning the rescue from them, is also not accomplished by you. You you have to engage with God who, in those places of formation in your life, as some of the language the church likes to use, you actually become authentically Christ-like through the power of the Spirit dwelling within you, where even your inside gets cleaned out mm-hmm. and you become a different kind of person day by day. And that, again, is something we just don't talk about a lot. And so people think, man, it's been five years. I'm still caught in these patterns of sin. I wonder if I'm even going to get to the other side anymore. And you, you, you start getting really frustrated with the discipleship journey. And so, we, again, we talked a ton about that because it was very pervasive in their communities, too, of, of beautiful followers of Jesus that just feel trapped in terms of their moral moral intentions and their relationships and, and patterns of behavior. Mm-hmm. Boy, we're, we're missing out on the freedom in Christ, aren't we? We really are. And, yeah. and, and it comes in stages and fits and starts. And, and I have any number of examples from my own life of, of sinful patterns that I don't always know what the process is going to be. And unfortunately, it's really hard to have a five-step process to freedom from that particular sin because you're involved in a unique situation and in a unique relationship with Jesus by his spirit to do that work. And, and boy, we could probably talk about some, a lot of specific examples about what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about pride, for example, as a pattern of sin. Oh boy, oh boy. I, I if, if you mean by pride that, you know, I can be the center of all attention. <laughs> no. I, I've never struggled with that. Well, I don't I know what either. you're talking about. I yeah. haven't either. No, no, no. I know. Yeah. I've always been the most humble person yeah. around. And <laughs> I get that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and I battle for how humble we are right, right. in studio, don't we? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that is the source of so much of our sin is, is our um, inability to acknowledge our weakness and our need for a Savior on a, on a day in and day uh, basis because it somehow makes us feel like less than or lesser than. But that that diminishing, that daily diminishing is really where the source of power from the kingdom comes. But that, that pride stands in the way all the time. And I, I don't want to admit that yeah. I'm struggling with stuff. I, I like my shiny little exterior that looks good to the world around me. And I like it when people like my shiny exterior. And so, I, I mean, I don't want to admit that. I'm yeah, a bit don't of blow that one. No, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I get polished my head up all day and, you know, walk out and everybody <laughs> loves me. Who doesn't want that? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's step, take a little break. Dr. Peter Kapsner is my guest. And he just got done teaching a, a five-day course and really... Um, a lot of stuff in your head. I want to get it out on the table here. We did the best we can. Yeah. So we're going to talk in the second half hour about anything that you would like to discuss, whether it be something theological or a social topic. Uh, so to get that ready, send over whatever you would like Peter and I to discuss, mostly Peter, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Be right back.
I have my friend Dr. Peter Kapster back in studio after 17 days in Scotland. So nice to have him back. And listeners are saying the same, Peter, just so you know. That's really encouraging. I, you know, yep. these these years as part of the Faith Radio family like this, it has been some of the sweetest years. You just run across day in and day out such good people. And, and you, you just know you're part of a bigger story yep. in the situation. Comment, uh, have you ever considered that our spirit is renewed, but our soul, mind, will, emotions are still in the process of transforming these old thoughts and patterns of behavior. Yeah, that really is it. I mean, it really, you, you get this sin-breaking power that begins to enter your spirit and begins to work its way out into the rest of your attitudes and behaviors and ideas. But it, that that is the discipleship process. The discipleship process is not your ability to manage your behavior by yourself. It is the ongoing leaning into Jesus to become increasingly Christ-like from the inside out. And mm-hmm. in that process, it, it's hard to capture in words. I'm sure there's a ton of people listening that know the drill. They know they've prayed for, for certain changes in their lives, but then the way those changes come about are, uh, are unique to the individual in terms of what God invites them into. Sometimes it comes through suffering and trial. Sometimes that's God's best way to reveal maybe the hidden idolatry of the heart that you don't even know you're walking in. Sometimes it's a friend who comes along and says something that feels like it just went, you know, ripped you from the inside out. I remember I had a, a friend of mine, I was going to a, a restaurant um, a date with him and, and uh, we were just having lunch. He was a colleague and, and he said, you know what, Peter, I'm just minor business on the road. I'm thinking I, I'm a wide open book right now. And I was about 31 years old. And he said, I think that you like to be liked more than you like to lead. And it just, I was like, wow, I couldn't believe, I didn't realize how much of my behavior throughout any given day was um, trying to get people to like me. And that's, that's just a place of profound bondage. You're more interested in yourself than anything else. But so a trusted friend sometimes comes along and helps you change something. Or maybe it's a book that you read or, or something comes across the airwaves uh, on your show even that people would listen to and say, wow, that changes things. So you, you pray, you don't always know how God is going to intersect in your life that way. But that is the discipleship journey, and it's an authentic one. As opposed to me making a bunch of resolutions, it really is asking God to come in in the ways that he does. He's the surgeon. Trust him. He'll do his work. He'll do his work. Yeah. So what are some of the other things that you worked through or struggled with? Well, that's a personal question. Well, well, we're just coming out of a break, so I can't, I can't go into another one. Yeah, yeah I, you know, we were actually, kidding aside, we were talking a little bit during the break. I, I do remember distinctly a time when I was starting in pastoral ministry. It wasn't a larger church context, and so I was invited on a regular basis to speak in front of a few thousand people on the weekends. And, and as I was doing that, I, 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 there was one distinct time when I was in the middle of a sermon, and, and I'm, you know, it's a little intoxicating. I'm a little full of myself in these moments. I'm a young pastor who's been identified as blah, 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 and all of that. And, yeah. and I remember God kind of tuning out whatever else was going on in the sermon and just had sort of this quick moment of, you know what, Peter, I wonder if you actually love my people. Or, or I wonder if this is more a little bit about your star being on the rise kind of thing. Mm. And boy, did that cut me to the quick. And, and so when the sermon was over and I went home that Sunday afternoon and I thought, God, you know, if I'm being honest about my, about this, I'm not sure that I really love the people either. It feels really good when there's a lot of people in the seats and, and people are enjoying the sermon. And, and I think, I hope, good things are happening in their lives as a result of breaking open the word in that way. But if I'm being honest, what's, what's getting me up and my motivations and the driving force day in and day out, I, I kind of want my star to continue to rise, mm-hmm. God. And, uh, and so I, I did what you shouldn't do in that situation. You pray for change. <laughs> and, and, and by that, I mean, uh, in that particular moment, it wasn't too long after that, that God brought a series of circumstances into my life that were, were um, shattering, just devastating. 
um, but they were also necessary. Like I sometimes wonder, I wouldn't make a principle out of this, but I sometimes wonder if the depth of the roots of our own sin, um, however deep they are, needs to be matched sometimes by the amount and depth of the root of the suffering we need to go through in order to uproot Ooh, those things. That's a pretty deep thought. And, it, and it's, I'm not going to make that like dogmatic statement that right. that's the way it always is. I just know that I don't think that that self-absorption in my own life as a young pastor would have had any chance to be uprooted without the extent of the shattering and the suffering. And I've talked about it on your show a, a couple of different times, but that was the season of my life when I was given a terminal diagnosis that I had to live under for a long enough period of time to uproot that. I was told that I had ALS and and basically get your affairs in order. I had two young kids at that time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was a long, it turned out to be a false diagnosis, but we didn't know that for a period of time. Uh, and, and it's a, it's a, whatever the neurological condition is, I still have it today, 17 years later and, and have many of the symptoms of it. It just is not degenerative. Uh, and, and it's funny. I don't know what Paul always meant by being grateful for the thorn in the flesh. Um, but I will say this, uh, it's, it's interesting to me that whenever I start walking up that ladder of trying to rise up some illusory vocational ladder or something like that, it's almost like my body starts going back into all of that mode of whatever that condition is. And, and God, it, it's a bit of a gift over time to, to create some humility, hopefully. But I couldn't do that myself, Bill. I needed, some, I needed God to intercede in some way to create a set of circumstances that would root out that idolatry that was running so deep. And frankly, I was running a bit roughshod over my wife and my young kids at that point because I was doing important kingdom ministry, mm-hmm. you know, and, and my kids are growing up saying, Daddy, work? Daddy, work? I just, they'd get up and I was gone doing the important work of the kingdom. And and I'm, I'm glad for that time. I wouldn't wish it upon people. And, and we talked about that in these five days with these pastors. They began to talk about their own journeys along those lines. And they say, you know, these hard things in life, you, would, you almost never would wish them on somebody else. But you wouldn't also maybe trade a lot of them because of what was created as a result of that. Mm. So good. So when you had that episode and you thought, oh, this could be the end, what did you walk away with? What did God... Um show you at that time? Yeah. Um, that was probably the first time there was two things that came out of that. The first thing was, uh, I had been a believer since I was six. My dad, um, just did a beautiful job of, of taking me by the bedside and explaining the best he could about who Jesus was. And I gave my life to Jesus as a six year old would. Mm-hmm. And it, the thing is, is it, that was real. I remember that moment as distinctly as it was yesterday, but I don't know that I really truly loved people from the inside out. I would have acted loving people, meaning just doing the nice thing for them. But but mostly because I thought I had to, mm-hmm. not because I actually had any interest in them. And, um, <laughs> and <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but yeah, no, 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 it, it sounded funny that when you just said it. Well, it, and, and it was, you just, you know, you kind of learn the whole Christian vibe, right? I mean, yeah. you, you just kind of go out and you, and you say nice things and smiley faces and I'll pray for you. And, and, and those things are all good yeah, they are. on some level. But, but if you're being ruthlessly honest with yourself, at least me being ruthlessly honest about myself at that time, that wasn't really coming from an authentic heart of love. And people can kind of smell that over time if you truly love them. And, uh, and I think when you get it all stripped away and you realize, gosh, all I really have are the people around me that I care deeply about and the God that I'm serving. That's all that's really true in terms of it's, it's you know, love God and love people in the way that Jesus describes it. And it was one of the first times that I would lay in bed at night with my wife and just hold her hand and just the, the peacefulness of, of, a, of a quiet evening. And that's actually where I just wanted to be. I wasn't trying to be a good husband. I wasn't trying to do the right thing. I was just living in that sweet moment thinking, I don't know how many more nights I have like this, 
but it developed a, a love in the inside out. Same thing with my kids. I was I was taping messages on old VCR videotapes for them about re- reading Lord of the Rings and their um, wedding messages and all of that kind of stuff. And it was it was really rough to wow. to do that work. But I fell in love with my kids at that time in a way that I otherwise I don't think I could have. Hmm. I would have wanted to, but in this pursuit of the idolatrous um, building of ministry would have prevented that from happening. So that's the first thing I learned. The second thing was a, a, a experience that remains with me to this day. And um, most of that was a journey of tears and people that are listening that, that have been down those diagnoses, they, they know how the world looks different in those moments. You just can't see it in the same way. And it's just ever in front of you. And, and you cry a lot in those moments. Yeah. And, and I, I cried a lot in that season. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you find a different source of strength and, but a lot of times you're just crying. So I was crying one night in bed and, uh, and, and really found myself praying unintentionally, but actually let this cup pass for me. I can't do this. I can't, I can't turn my face towards ALS. I just can't admit that it's real. I can't admit that this is going to happen. Um, and so let this cup pass for me. And in that still small voice that came of Jesus came across my spirit and said, you know what? I've been in the garden too. And, and Peter, there's another half to this prayer. And I'm going to invite you into that prayer right now. And I was like, oh, come on. I don't want any part of that because the other half of the prayer, but nevertheless, that your will be done. Do, can I trust you, God, enough to be willing to walk through those waters of death? Will you even hold me in that place? I don't know if I can trust you with that at the end of the day. And, and so I wrestled for quite a while that night and, uh, and finally spluttered out, not from some great place of pastoral strength. You know, I finally just spluttered out, oh, but nevertheless, that your will be done. And, and there were some things that... Um, they're hard to describe to this day in terms of the peace that began to cross in that moment that here's what I knew. I knew that even though I would die, yet I would live. Like I knew it on a level that was different than reading it from the text or some theological idea. I knew God had my back and I knew he could be a trustworthy shepherd for a lifetime. It's amazing. It really is. It, sh- it shaped so much. And, and again, I wouldn't people know the drill. You don't wish it on people. And I'm not some magnificent person for having gone through it. I had to go through it because of how deep the idolatry was. And here's the thing, that salvation, when we were talking about what salvation is, yes, it is a good Friday thing that changes the very reality of our disposition, right? It, 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 it unwinds that disease of sin, but salvation biblically is also an ongoing action. This is what it means to grow up in your salvation. Like first Peter says, or work out your salvation in fear and trembling. God is always offering the power to rescue and to heal us all day long. We don't have to do our discipleship journey through our own attitudes and behaviors and, and trying a lot harder. We just keep yielding into God every single day. But if you want to do that, buckle up. A lot of times, the, the things that are in front of you to help bring that change are going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. Dr. Peter Kapsner, my friend, is in studio with me, um, and we're going to take a little break, but when we come back, if you have a question that you'd like to ask, maybe it's a theological or, or social issue topic, we would be happy to address it. I love what we're talking about now, and I'm very happy to continue down this road because it's so rich, but I'm also open to... Uh, Taking anything anywhere from we want to go, totally, we totally go. wide open, and then, yeah. that was part of what happened in this class. Is we just talked about so many social yeah. and theological topics, and it was yeah. just catalytic, so super fun. Yeah. So uh, all you have to do is text it over to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Again, eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Be right back.
Thank you for joining me today. If you just stepped into your car, um, Dr. Peter Kapsner is in studio with me. We're talking about his intensive five-day teaching he just got done uh, doing, and it was amazing. He had all this stuff in his head. I said, well, come into the studio and dump it, and what we're hearing from him is pretty remarkable because it's a very personal side of his story and his life, and if you missed any of it, oh, I really recommend uh, hearing it from the beginning. You can always do that by going to MyFaithRadio.com and going to the Afternoon with Bill Show page. It'll be right there for you after 6 o'clock tonight. So, uh, Peter, yeah, just a whole bunch of people have uh, texted me saying, Mm. wow, 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 Uh, thank you for your vulnerability. Um, This is uh, important to hear, and thank you for uh, sharing what you've been sharing. Well, I I think I just wonder, right, how many people are, this is what they're carrying day in and day out as some version of what it is that we're talking about today. I mean, that story, I think, is probably surprisingly not unique for a lot of people in terms of what they're facing. I know um, two stories from the last 48 hours where somebody said, yes, I have some sort of mass growing under my eye that I don't know what it was. And another person said, yeah, I have a mass that's getting checked out. And it just makes me think how many people that we run across day in and day out, whether it be the mall uh, maybe a work colleague mm-hmm. that we're close to, but we don't really know what's going on, or somebody in the grocery store checkout line, and maybe they have a, a too short of a word for us, or they frustrate us, or maybe they didn't get our coffee right, or right. whatever it is. But how many people are living in this reality day in and day out, and, and how difficult it is? Um, I, I don't know how you do life in this world with these kind of realities, absent of having the hope of a Savior in the midst of it. And a lot of people don't, and so they're carrying this thing without that hope as well. And and for me, it just, there's a, in a rightly ordered place, I don't live this way day in and day out, but, but when I stay close to my, that own suffering place of it, there's a compassion that gets created for probably what most people are dealing with. And it's not necessarily even a physical thing, right? I mean, some people are really struggling in their marriages or uh, so many people are wondering about their sons and daughters or grandkids and great grandkids and people are carrying so much. And this is where the hope of the kingdom really can come into people's lives. Uh, in the midst of that, there really is only one hope in the midst of all this. Mm-hmm. If we can go back to the salvation topic we started with, because it's so good and there's so much there to talk about and to mine, and I know people are thinking many different thoughts about salvation. I had a discussion today with a, a friend of mine and his uh, brother, and we were talking about salvation, eternity, mm-hmm. and we certainly come to different conclusions uh, at times when you talk to people about faith, and you always want them to understand Christianity is uh, something I want you to believe because it's true. Right. Not because it's something I'd like to persuade you to do and to understand, but I want you to know that it's true and therefore you place your faith and trust in Christ because it's true. Yeah, and when that's the heart of our faith, right, is is to put your faith into something, is to lean into it or surrender and, and, and walk as if that's really real. And the amazing thing is, is God is real. And so when you do that work, uh, he... He reveals himself in his faithfulness towards you as a shepherd along the way, and and you begin to lean into that more fully because the story is actually true. So it's not an ongoing act of trying to persuade somebody or trying to convince them or cajole them. Jesus really is real and and does work in people's lives. And and so to bear witness to that, to to be a witness is somebody whose life testifies to the worth and to the effect of following Jesus. And so if you're living that kind of life from the inside out that we describe and you begin to share it with somebody else— uh, they're like, yeah, there is something different about you. 
Tell me about that. What What is that? You don't have to persuade or convince. Your life just bears witness to it as you grow in faith. And then in, in so many lives of quiet desperation that people are living, they might even just a whiff of hope about who you are. Mm-hmm. And and in that whiff of hope, you can say, you know, you could try to follow, try this whole Jesus thing on too. I mean, try to follow him and see how it goes. And, and Jesus inevitably shows up in those moments. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, talk a little bit more too about um, sh- uh, sharing the the gift of of God's grace and salvation and and bringing light and understanding to people who are maybe not there. Yeah. Well, I, we just sort of touched on at least I, I got to the periphery of it just uh, just a minute ago. And uh, sometimes I think, Bill, that we we really have to have our theology down, or we really have to be able to tell the story in a compelling kind of way of mm-hmm. how Jesus came to this world and died for people's sins and rose from the dead. And, and all of that is part of bearing witness. But if we went back into the biblical text itself, and Jesus says in the, in the opening of the book of Acts, he says that you will be my witnesses to Judea and Samaria and even into the ends of the earth. That word witness is the Greek word marturo, the heart of which is martyr. So we get the word martyr from that. And the way that those early Christians bore witness, they didn't have the opportunity to tell the story in Rome, in the Roman Empire. They weren't walking around preaching about the story of who this Jesus was. But as they went into those, um, the, the, uh, the Roman Colosseum, and as they were being cut down by the gladiators, or maybe the, torn in two by the animals, and just the horror that that was, that martyrdom was marturo, it bore witness. And the way they did is as they were being cut down, they just held their hands together and began to sing. And, and they didn't resist and, and they didn't rage at people and they didn't show, it was completely unjust. And yet, just like their savior before them, um, they were willing to walk uh, into their death on behalf of other people. And so, so many people of that 50,000 seat Coliseum came to see their blood shed. And of those people, based on what they saw, maybe 50 believers died in the Coliseum that day, but 5,000 people left the Roman Coliseum convinced that this story must be true because those people bore witness in how they carried themselves and who they were in a power that was animating them. I mean, the Spirit of God animates us from the inside out to actually bear witness in these ways. And you might have to tell a story from time to time, but the the most powerful form of witness is somebody who is increasingly um, growing in the kingdom realities where if somebody presses on you, you actually do love them. Or you actually are a person of patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. And this is the importance of this. The discipleship journey is not to try to prove to God that you're grateful that you got saved. And so I'm going to try to do a bunch of behaviors to do that. Mm-hmm. The discipleship journey is to grow authentically from the inside out into Christ's likeness because then your life bears witness to something different. I don't know what your life is like, but when I run into somebody who is actually fun and funny and patient and kind and and you can smell it that it's real they're not mm-hmm. just putting on an act mm-hmm. they become such compelling people and like, i'd like to hang out with you a little bit more who are you mm-hmm. what are you talking everybody in this world is so stressed it seems like and i know my young students 30 out of 30 of them are dealing with a mental health crisis it, it seems in my classes these days and understandably so and so whenever you have somebody whose life is bearing witness to something different their life is bearing witness to a mental health crisis because of a whole host of events going on in their lives. It's super understandable. And if you're bearing witness to a different kind of life, a life of peace and joy, and it's real, it's not you're trying to just put on the clothes of peace and joy, you actually are that person. People are like, wow, 
what is happening? And now you start telling him about this Jesus that, that you serve and follow. And if you don't have that life that's bearing witness, it's hard to tell the story and have it be effective. Yeah. So so the, the discipleship and evangelism work together in those ways. And that's not to shame people who are struggling, right? I mean, this is we all struggle with our sin and we're, none of us are perfect. And, and yet there can be a life that grows strong in us. Mm-hmm. When you made that point, I thought, yeah, that's exactly how we became friends the day I met you. We were in this little meeting, and somebody suggested that you would be interesting on radio. And, of course, my eyes rolled back into my head. They did. They did. It took you 11 seconds to reject that notion. <laughs> and you were sitting there with your travel coffee mug, and I thought, all right, let's go in the studio and talk. You did. I was, And we did. I was terrified, by the way. I was sitting in a meeting just positing the idea of yeah. potentially a radio show. And again, in about two and a half minutes, it, well, I don't even think it was two and a half no. minutes, you stood up, couldn't be bothered with the meeting, uh, and, and stood up <laughs> out of the meeting and dragged me into this very studio. This I don't right know here. you at all. Yeah. And you started grilling me around about topics of sexuality for I, 25 minutes. I, I know. I yeah. know. And it was, it was, it was, it was, but it was beautiful. And, but you also were bearing witness in some moments. Somehow, I, I could trust you even across a, a microphone from you, and I'd never even met you, but I do think that's how this works. You, mm-hmm. Our spirits can smell other spirits that are trustworthy or kind or yeah, gentle. You kind of, so you just know sort of that there's something, we, we actually talked about it these last five days. You know when somebody is actually loving you. You can, you just sense it. There's a, there's a peace that comes that's in so it. True. And, and that is what happened those, those few years ago for yeah, us. Yeah, that's so true. And then if you're not feeling that love, it is a horribly lonely place. It really is. And you might be with people that everything, at least on the surface, seems a-okay. That's all fine. But you kind of know something is amiss uh, mm-hmm. beneath the surface, right? And and that uh, the Christian life, when you begin to live, and you and I have talked about this a little bit on air, you, you start living within the easy yoke of Jesus. I mean, he talks about that my yoke is easier, my teachings, my way of life is easy, and my burden is life. My, uh, my burden is light. It doesn't mean that life becomes easy. Life can be still filled with the horrific circumstances, but Jesus is bringing a kind of load onto our shoulders that lightens that up where he's like, I can give you an unexplainable peace and joy in the midst of it. When you're around the unencumbered life that some believers are able to sort of find this this pearl of great price, they're the kind of people that laugh really easily mm-hmm. and they cry really easily and, and they take wonder and stuff. Uh, this is what it means to become childlike again in our faith. The, the childlikeness that Jesus invites us into is not a naivety where you don't know better. It means that even though you know better, there's a hope that persists in you that is bigger than the circumstances of this world. And in light of that hope, you do now have the freedom to laugh and to cry and to sing and to have wonder. I mean, these are my spiritual thermometers. When when I start losing a sense of wonder and laughter in this world, I'm like, oh, something must really be troubling my soul. What would that be? Yeah, I wish you were reading this off a piece of paper, because I can't believe this is coming out of your head. Yeah, it's a little surprising to, <laughs> it's to a little, me as well. Right? A little, little surprising. So what was one of the hot topics of discussion amongst the pastors and the people that was in the, in this group? Yeah, we spent actually, uh, today's class is our final class, and um, and this is probably, we could maybe touch on some of the highlights or not at all, just describe the importance of touching on these highlights. But uh, but of course, gender blurring and sexuality is, is um, one of the main topics sure. of the day, and that's such a hard one. I mean, if you even want to start into that subject, you run the risk of being misunderstood within about two seconds. And, uh, and dog whistles from all sides begin to blow and, and, and people just don't want to open the topic on that. And so we did, it was a, it was an interesting look that we all were able to participate in because so many of us have lived through some of these events. 
But when you start seeing that the questions of today, like gender blurring and same gender relationships, they didn't just emerge out of the blue without any kind of history underneath all of them. So we took a look at the the evolution of our sexual understanding and expression, starting with the 1950s into the 1960s. You know, the, the 50s was a time of nuclear family. The 60s was this anti-government, make love, not war, Woodstock. And then 70s was divorce culture and 80s began to be sort of the celebration of premarital sexuality and 90s was living together and safe sex and then we had internet porn. And then you just, you just see this whole host of 60 years of topics that we just haven't really talked about all that much in the church, but have deeply impacted the lives of believers and non-believers both. And, and as we were talking about it in class today, we sort of all agreed that it felt like one of those conversations you might have with a friend where something is troubling you and you know you have to break open the box of the conversation, and you think the conversation is going to be about X, whatever X is, and you start having that conversation, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait a second, this is the tip of an iceberg. There's Y and Z and double A and double B and double Oh, boy. Oh, we have 60 years of conversations we haven't had. And, and so much of it has been swept under the rug and kind of became part of our normal life. So even though we have these very hot questions about gender blurring, we have to understand what happens in the 1960s and 70s to understand why we're having these questions today. And it was a really fun two hours with them. Uh, just a lot of energy of people pinging around saying, oh, I remember well, you know, when that song from Prince in the 1980s had a, you know, a huge shift in our understanding yeah. or, or how friends began to normalize um, a bunch of people living together. Like We just started talking about the movie Philadelphia was so instrumental um, in this incredible story of Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington in the midst of the AIDS de- uh, epidemic to humanize a gay man who had AIDS and, and somebody who was perceived or portrayed in the film to be homophobic, that being Denzel Washington. And through the power of story, as he came around Tom Hanks, it really shifted our country's understanding in a lot of ways. It was a seminal moment in this whole conversation that changed. And when you begin to do all of that work, you see, oh, no wonder we're thinking the way we're thinking here in 2022. But to talk about all of these really difficult issues requires that kind of work to really get into them. Mm-hmm. Take a little break. We'll come back more with Dr. Peter Kapsner. We are uh, still open to an idea. If you've got one you'd like us to discuss, maybe it's a social or theological issue, let us know. So glad to have Dr. Peter Kapsner back on U.S. soil. It feels good to be back on it U.S. Does. soil, I have to say. Yes. Yeah. After being in Scotland for three weeks. Oh, and you know, that was my first time I've ever had a, a, a proper daddy-daughter trip. I have two nice. daughters, one who's 20, one who's 14, and, and just me with the two of them. Oh, gosh. we It was one of those things I'll cherish for a lifetime, a real gift. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk a little bit about how much time is required to live this Christian life out that we're talking about. Is an yeah. hour in church on Sunday enough? Yeah, that was another thing that we talked about these five, five days. Again, for context, I just got through five days of, of teaching time with uh, pastors from all stripes and different walks of life in different parts of our country. And, and when I'm in that kind of environment, I always love the commonality or the common patterns that emerge from their conversations, regardless if they lived on the West Coast or the East Coast, big church, large church, 
whenever they start coming together in their anecdotes and their stories, you're like, huh, probably seeing a little bit about what's going on in people's lives in our, in our country today and, and faithful followers and, and people that are not believers, what's all happening. And as you and I have been talking about the power of salvation, not only in a Good Friday sense, but in an Easter Sunday sense in our discipleship journey, what kind of life is required to, to participate in that? And then specifically this question of sexuality that we are starting to unpack a little bit before the break. One of the things that we really talked a lot about these last five days is that if the common way in which we gather together as believers is to drive anywhere between five minutes to 50 minutes to a destination or a location to spend an hour to an hour and a half in a worship service, which is good. And so many worship services are beautiful and I love corporate worship and Mm -hmm. I need good teaching in my life. And this, this event that it is, is a wonderful place to be in, in so many ways. And, uh, and maybe you're part of a Wednesday night group or something, but it became very clear very quickly among all of the pastors that given the level of the need, the way in which we're organizing and gathering probably isn't sufficient to meet the level of the need. And and I just, if we if just use an analogy in a different kind of way, if I am, um, if I have a disease of some kind and if you need some sort of therapeutic intervention and you say, you know, you actually probably need it daily for the better part of two or three or four weeks or something, but think, you know what, I'm just going to come and get that intervention uh, maybe once every three weeks, and you expect then that it's going to have a therapeutic effect upon the disease, you probably have misplaced your expectations. And so we're not saying that gathering together on a Sunday morning for an hour is bad or a Wednesday night is bad. It just means that when we open up these topics like sexuality or like what it means to be um, in the midst of uh, helping heal divorces or, or the situation that happens, you know, as families fracture or somebody loses it, you name it. I mean, there some sort of addiction that somebody has. I, the pastor, they call it, they, they began as they were talking back and forth. They said, we probably need maybe a different model for how we're doing this. And it doesn't mean we do away with the, just the Sunday morning, like event part of that model. But the early church, I, I love, they were gathering together daily. I mean, they were living life together in a mm-hmm. different kind of way. And one of the things we talked about is that part of the resolution of the mental health crisis that's so epidemic uh, is the need for just daily community and relationships with people, that you're part of a community and a fabric and a story. So many people feel so isolated and so alone in their life and, and long for that hour on the weekend when you can gather with other believers but that just begins to sort of do the healing that we need. It, 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 to be entrusted friendships and relationships uh, is a big part of the puzzle. And you just can't do that when you're driving 20 minutes to a worship service and then driving home again. It, again, it doesn't mean that's bad. It just might not be the right vehicle for, to meet the needs of today in this whole discipleship area and witness healing all of what's required for the believers. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Yeah, I can see how as we are trying to take on, grow in our faith, get ready and be equipped to disciple others. You need more. You need personal study, lots of it, but you need a lot more community. You really do. I mean, the, the, the magnitude of the idea of the inexhaustible God becoming flesh and dwelling among us and then dying on the cross and, and raising from the dead, that's a pretty miraculous, marvelous, majestic kind of story. And if it was that big of a deal, Right. I mean, think about how big of it, if we just let ourselves think about how big of a deal it is that the inexhaustible God of the universe took on human form, became subject to death and came out of the waters of death. And then we assume that whatever is going on within the story of this universe and this world that prompted him to do that 
is something that we can participate in and attend to one hour a week on a Sunday morning. <laughs> I, you just like yeah. that you, you start seeing probably what's going on and maybe where the need is. And, and again, this isn't bad all of us as believers. It's not about that at all. It just what was so encouraging from these last five days is saying, wow, maybe there's some different kinds of gatherings in, in which we can really grow as people together and not have it short circuit. I don't know how life is w- with you, but I love my time with other believers, but too often it's almost like an adult play date. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we arrange it on the schedule and we get together every four to six weeks. We catch up for a little bit. We have some meaningful conversation and my heart just feels like I, I can't drink enough of that water. Yeah. And then we say, we really need to do this again sometime, which sometime becomes six weeks to six months later. Right. And in the in-between time, any number of things happen and I just, I, you know, you start getting overwhelmed. And so maybe some different vehicles for gathering would be some, some important questions for the future. Mm-hmm. Here's a question, Peter, that came in uh, about, do you have a landing spot between the Caleb Keltenbach or Kaltenbach Messy Grace view and the West Hill Revoice Spiritual Friendship view? Uh, and Rosaria Butterfield view that there's too much of a soft view on, on sexuality of the LGBTQ community. Mm, boy, there's a lot in that. I know there is. There's I, a I lot. shouldn't there's, have yeah. sprung that on you with no, four no, minutes no, it's, ago. it's okay. No, this is, I mean, this is, uh, this is what we have to do. We have to be willing to just do the, however messy that work is to do, to talk about the messy grace of God yeah, and all of that. We, we need We need to do that. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not going to say that I'm fully well-versed in all of those views, yeah. but, re, but related to the LGBTQ community in terms of what we talked about today, um, we talked about that there was a very understandable reaction in the 1990s to the really awful way in which people in the gay community were being treated. I mean, back at that time, uh, so much of the public message of some church figures, at least the most prominent ones, this was not across the board, but some of the most prominent ones we're saying things like the AIDS epidemic was a judgment on the gay community. And then we are also confused as a country when uh, breaking news came across our television feed. And it was that Magic Johnson, who was this incredibly prominent figure, had HIV suddenly and he was not gay. And so it began to confuse so many of the messages. Um, but there was this pendulum swing, understandably away from treating image bearers within this community that... I don't know what's all happening in the, in, in the LGBTQ community. I just know that the treatment of them was inconsistent with kingdom treatment at that time. But then the pendulum swing was all the way over to this other side into something called affirmation, which have we erred on the side of that? And that's what we talked about in, in these um, five days together as we talked about that topic. And, and I think that's going to be the great question for the believers moving forward is now it is our sons and our daughters and it's our aunts and our uncles and it's our friends and people close to us that are walking in the LGBT community. And I want to be real clear. I mean, I've studied this for years. I'm quite clear that marriage is meant for male and female in the biblical text. Um, but even in my clarity about that, can I carry myself in such a way with my forbearing spirit that when I'm around people in the gay community, that they can begin to sense a sense of hope? Like maybe it's possible I could actually like them, even though I disagree right now. And what does it mean to bear witness in that way? These are the people Jesus hung out with. This is why the religious elite of the day were saying, you're eating with who exactly? Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? You must be one of them. And Jesus was never one, but he, he was of such a, a quality of, his, uh, of who he was. And, and this is what it means to become Christ-like, that I would want somebody who is walking within the confusion and the understandable confusion of that community right now, if they were around me as a believer, to be able to say, huh. And I actually had that happen not long ago. I was out to uh, dinner with a friend of mine who is in the gay community. He said, after about three hours, he said, 
I know you teach at Northwestern. I didn't know that you could have dinner with me. Oh, wow. And it was a, it was a stunning statement. Hmm. Um, and so I think the church has a really um, important conversation to have about what it means to sort of play in this long game where we're not compromising, but we're also not just standing back in that 1990s time and saying, this is God's judgment upon everybody. I mean, there there's so much confusion. I mean, if you're a young person growing up today, all of your media, all of your education, you have almost no shepherds in terms of family and, and, and church talking about these things. And so you are being informed by your, by your social media feeds and your friends, you're confused, you're isolated. There's a lot there's many of my young people in evangelical education right now that are wrestling through this issue for themselves. And we have to, we have to work through it in a way that holds the tension of both grace and truth all at the same time. And that's not an easy place to walk. Mm-hmm. Hey, great answer. It's a yeah, great it, answer. Well, I just, it, it, it'd be fun to break open the body. We did some of that this morning. We just, I told him, I said, I, I needed at least a year to try to understand what was at stake and look at the, the biblical witness and the scriptural and, the, and um, religious traditions, human experience, the sciences, all of that. And, and we just don't have the vehicle in the church to help people walk in that way when we're only gathering for an hour on a weekend. So what vehicles do we have to really equip the saints for ministry so that anybody even listening right now could come to an understanding, oh, I get what's all going on. Once you get out of the paralysis of the question, you can begin to live much more Christ-like in the situation. But so many of us are paralyzed, understandably mm-hmm. so. Now, Peter, I know you don't care if people like you or not, but... Whoa, you should see the text line. People like you. Did I, do you think I went higher than 39th on your favorite list? No, no. Because that was my goal today. This is brand building for me. <laughs> no, you didn't move up the list. So. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll, we'll give it another go sometimes, hopefully. Yeah, keep working on it there, pal. I, I will do, I'll do my best. All right. We'll take a break when we come back. And Peter's going to stay for the Old Testament series because, you know, he's part of that uh, series. We're going to uh, hear about lessons from Samuel, one of the often forgotten heroes of the Bible. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.